Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Harry Petrinos, World Bank, and happy to tell you today about our Human Capital Index and our Harmonized Learning Outcomes Database. Our, our initiative tries to benchmark education investments and measure human capital across the world. We know that in the last few decades there's been tremendous increase in average years of schooling in countries, tremendous uh, increase in number of uh, children in school. At the same time, it's estimated that more than 260 million children are out of school, another 260 million are in school but not learning, and according to UNESCO, one in four uh, people are unable to read. So we have great success, but also several big challenges. We also know that the returns to education, the contributions of education to economic development are, are very strong. We can see it in terms of uh, earnings. Uh, an average, on average, a year of schooling increases earnings to individuals by about 10%. And we know that education contributes to economic growth and social and economic development in countries. But we suspect that there is underinvestment in education. We suspect there's underinvestment in the quality of education. But we're not sure how much that gap is, how much underinvestment there is. So we launched the Human Capital Project, which is an effort to prioritize investments in, in human capital, both education and health, and to measure the contributions that governments are making to human capital development and to rank how far to the ideal countries are coming in terms of their investments in education and health. That's the human capital project. We have a basic question that we ask in the index, and that is how much human capital can a child born today expect to receive by the time they turn 18, given the lack of health or lack of education in the countries where she lives. So we estimate this as a potential, and we're looking at the gap between ideal and where that uh, country is. We have three indicators, child survival, importance of uh, reaching school age. We have schooling, both in terms of years of schooling completed and the quality of that education. And we have a health indicator, adult survival, so that people can take advantage of the benefits of education through their working lives. The index itself produces these outcomes. This is uh, mapped against uh, GNP per capita. And you can see that, to some extent, human capital correlates with income in a country, but there is wide variation. Some countries are significantly above the line, some are significantly below. But this is the picture we get in terms of the human capital index. But in order to get that index, we need to know about the quality of education. And that is a challenge for any index that tries to measure investments and outcomes in human capital. 
if we used only international assessments, and here in this figure we show the distribution of PISA, TIMS, and PEARLS, so the three major international assessments. It covers a large part of the uh, globe, as you can see from the greenish color. But if you look in the middle of the map, we're missing a lot of data for lower income countries. Most of Sub-Saharan Africa would be missing if the only measure of quality was from international assessments. So in order to address this, because after all we want an index that's representative across the globe, we had to look at other assessments. We include the regional assessments. There's two regional assessments in Sub-Saharan Africa and there's a regional assessment in Latin America. And some countries do both regional and international assessments. And as long as we have countries that do both, we can estimate a score for those countries by putting them on the same scale. And that's what we did. But including the regional assessments and these international assessments, we still be missing several countries, uh, several developing countries. So we also use the early grade reading assessments to make up for that gap. Again, same methodology. We harmonize based on countries that do both the regional, the international, the regional, and the early grade reading assessments. And together that gives us a representation that covers almost the whole world, more than 160 countries and territories in the world, and includes most of Sub-Saharan Africa. We're still missing a few countries, which we hope to make up, and you might also notice that there are some countries where uh, data uh, exists, but not since 2000. So we're limiting our database to 2000 to present. And this gives us uh, a wide uh, distribution of scores. And by harmonizing them, we can compare learning outcomes across the globe. And when we do that, the picture is quite dismal. The, the graphic here shows the scores. High performers are in the greenish color, lowest performers in the red. And the difference in learning outcomes between the highest performers and the lowest performers is more than two standard deviations on average. In other words, a whole generation of schooling is lost in low-income countries because of the quality of education. We compare high performers to low performers, and that gap gives us the adjusted years of schooling. And for some countries, they're losing a lot of human capital. So the investment in education is resulting in a gap that is difficult to make up. And we can show exactly what that gap is in terms of learning outcomes. It's about, on average, 50%, meaning that countries scoring below 50%, those children will only reach 50% of their potential in human capital when they reach 18 years of age. So we're losing half the potential human capital because of the underinvestment in the quality of education. And this large gap also results in a human capital gap along with the health and nutrition indicators that puts these countries at a particular disadvantage. Looking at the data, a bit more disaggregated. Here we're looking at some countries that are doing significantly better than their income level would predict, and some countries are doing significantly worse. Vietnam stands out in this graphic as it does in PISA graphics and other uh, indicators, which shows two things, that level of income is not, is not destiny. Countries with low, lower resources can still invest adequately in their schooling systems and achieve results like Vietnam does, which are above the PISA average. 
So there is much hope for developing countries that want to improve their education systems. It also shows that policy matters. The reasons for Vietnam doing as well as they do is because of the policies that bring good teachers into the classrooms at the basic education level and invest in instruction that results in higher learning outcomes. Here we show a few large economies and their underperformance. There's a significant gap in many of the larger developing countries according to what their potential would be. These countries have a significant way to go in terms of reaching closer to their potential in terms of learning outcomes. One of the uh, most interesting findings in this database is that although we've seen large increases in enrollment and they continue in the 2000s, the learning levels do not seem to follow. As we get more countries participating in assessments, it seems the learning outcomes are declining. This is not controlling for uh, uh, the, the population. It's the strict, strict average when we include more countries in the assessments. So we're doing a very good job at increasing enrollments and we continue to increase enrollments into the 2000s. But as more children come into the school system, the average level of learning seems to decrease. Now part of this is compositional and I'm not controlling for entry or any other characteristics, but it does show the challenge that many developing country education systems face. They're continuing to enroll children, and as they reach universal schooling, the newest students are students coming for, from poorer backgrounds, more disadvantaged, more difficult to teach. So the challenge is double in many lower-income countries, enrollment and trying to improve learning outcomes. And this isn't only in developing countries. We see the enrollment increases have continued in all parts of the world, and we are approaching convergence in the coming decades. But learning outcomes have been stagnant in high-performing countries, high-income countries, I should say, and in many of the developing countries, the gap, even when it was increasing at first, has started to decline in recent years as more and more children get into the school system. Uh, a bit of good news in terms of countries in the Middle East, North Africa, there seems to be a recent up, uptick in learning outcomes in the most recent years. So we're going to see increases in learning outcomes as the education systems adjust, as they become universal, but the gap is there and we need to invest more, more rapidly, and uh, focus on learning outcomes. So <clears throat> a few um, uh, findings in terms of gender, when it comes to enrollments, in most parts of the world, it's either uh, equity in terms of gender uh, enrollments or disadvantage for, uh, for girls in terms of uh, schooling. When it comes to learning outcomes, it's the reverse. In most regions, girls are performing uh, better uh, than boys, so we're getting a reversed uh, gender gap. This is the good news from the uh, Harmonized Learning Outcomes database. Uh, more investment in schooling, getting more children into school, Girls are outperforming boys. Bad news is boys are, are not performing uh, as well. The implications from the uh, Harmonized Learning Outcomes database, I would mention four, and I'd be uh, interested in, in your views or, or comments on this. Uh, the first is we need to make learning the focus of education reform. 
we focused for a long time on access and building schools and increasing enrollments. Uh, time has come to focus particularly on learning outcomes. This needs to be the goal of education reforms, needs to be the goal for education policy going forward. Second implication is that we need to measure. We need to measure regularly. We need to analyze learning outcomes. For most of the database that I presented, although we're covering 98% of the world's population, in many countries we have rather old data, even though it's from 2000 onwards, and sometimes we only have a single data point. Very difficult to do much with uh, so little data, very difficult to uh, address the learning challenge if it's not measured and measured regularly. So measurement is important for affecting change and continuing to improve. Third, it's not enough to just measure and to focus on learning. We need to support stakeholders in the school system so they can actually improve learning outcomes. This includes teachers, supporting teachers with information and training and support so they can become effective in the classroom. It means supporting students that need extra attention. And as we get more and more children from poor backgrounds into school systems, target interventions may be important. We also need to... Uh, increase monitoring and uh, accountability in education systems with a goal on, of focused on learning. Finally, we need to also inform those policies and strategies with information from learning outcomes and from what works. The evidence on what works for improving learning outcomes has increased rapidly in the last decade or so, uh, so we're learning more and more about what works. Ob one obvious um, finding is on the improvement of teacher quality and therefore uh, learning outcomes. This has been proven in many, many education systems. And the challenge is to bring that information to countries, to schools, uh, to school systems so that we can affect change. There are many other interventions as well uh, that work. We need to uh, adjust how uh, we uh, incorporate the evidence from the learning, uh, from the evaluations into education policy. Thank you. Uh, I have time. Thank you. Any questions, comments, reactions? I don't know if there's microphones. Okay. Thank you for the uh, wonderful presentation. I just have one question regarding the enrollment and the learning curve. Uh, because it's, it's um, well, the way I understand it, that the, in the developing countries, the enrollment goes higher. However, the, uh, the learning goal decreases. So does the uh, study touch upon the reasons behind? Is it only financial reasons, whatever? Or uh, we just have this? So, uh, w in that graphic that I showed, these are just the outcomes that we get as we incorporate more and more children into the school system. So, it's, a, uh, it's a, um, uh, related to the poorer or more uh, disadvantaged students getting into the school system. Test scores are lower, uh, but it seems to be a, a, a rather temporary phenomenon until the schooling system catches up. We, we haven't controlled for entry or characteristics. If we do, it would have a different picture. But right now, it's only to show the challenge for school systems, not, not the reasons for that learning gap.
Yeah, thank you. A few questions. One, the learning outcomes that you are testing in your study, are they similar or they are country specific? So are you looking at the same learning outcomes? Two, when you look at the countries, the outliers, like say Vietnam, have you, does your study go further to check what policies are those that they have put in place that therefore do not affect the outcomes, even if the numbers increase and yet it's a, not a high developed country? Three, you mentioned the issue of gender, uh, that uh, more girls are coming in in the recent years and they are performing better than boys. There's a big question these days of um, what's happening to the boys. And every time you talk about gender equality, especially where I come from, is um, we have forgotten the boys. Does the study tell you the factors that is making boys perform worse? Is that something that could inform our work on gender equality in education going forward? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the questions. Uh, the learning outcomes come from um, uh, six, seven different databases, uh, and we're equating the scores based on the averages for those countries that have done both assessments. So I'm taking uh, uh, an equating methodology. It's not the same test, but we're equating. And we're checking our assumptions based on those countries that have done multiple assessments. So it's scaling them onto, uh, putting them on the same scale, not the exact same test. But we do control for the characteristics of the students, the school system, the age structure. Um, and we only look at those uh, students in school, of course, and uh, we look at three subjects, math, reading, uh, and science. Uh, question on Vietnam. We do have uh, studies on Vietnam. Happy to, to share with you on some of the factors uh, as to why Vietnam does, does as well as they do. One of them has to do with teachers, teacher quality, uh, selective teacher policy, and continuous uh, support of teachers throughout their careers. There's some other factors as well, and I'm happy to share uh, that information. Uh, also, Vietnam has invested in uh, assessment and analyzing those assessments and using those results to inform policy. On your question about gender, I think it's a, a combination of girls doing better in school and boys underperforming. In countries where we've looked at those uh, differences, some of them has to do with motivations, incentives. Uh, boys have a lot of options uh, out beyond schooling. Uh, girls in some countries don't have as many options, so they tend to focus their, their studies. Nevertheless, the gap, it's, it's, to me it's, it's good news that there are girls doing as well as they do, uh, and it does show that the school systems can support high achievement. But the boys' underperformance is a reason for concern going forward because low test scores means less success in higher levels of schooling and lower productivity. So it's worth looking at some of the factors in countries where girls are significantly uh, outperforming boys. But we haven't done that yet in this context. Uh, thanks very much. David Archer from ActionAid. Um, it was very striking. I'm pleased to hear you making the connection between teacher quality. Making the connection between teacher quality and learning outcomes is important. The research which was funded by Varki and reported on earlier today by Peter Dalton, looking at 35 countries, 41,000 people surveyed, shows a direct connection also between teacher pay and teacher status and learning outcomes. Uh, does that mean, uh, with that very compelling evidence now in place, that the World Bank will champion increasing teacher pay around the world? Yeah. 
Thanks, David. I, I didn't uh, catch, catch that uh, session. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, teacher quality is important, and it's, uh, it's the main factor in, in all countries. I think the status of the teaching profession is very important in countries that are, that are doing significantly better in, in assessments like these are selecting the best into schooling, selecting the best into the classroom and supporting them through, through, their, through their lifetimes. And the investment in those teachers is significant in those countries. After all, many countries are spending 20, 30% of their um, uh, budgets on education. Most of that is salary. Most of those are teacher salaries. So it's important to see where those resources are going and who gets into the system. So I think along with pay, there's other factors on teacher policy. It needs to be a complete teacher policy. Uh, selection, support, uh, pay, uh, continuous um, training, retraining has to come as a package. And that is what we're looking at uh, in many countries in the, in the bank, specifically on these aspects of teacher policy. Thank you. Hi, thanks very much for your talk. It was probably the best talk I've been to. It was really interesting. Was there any correlation between the type of curriculum that the countries who kind of outperform their expectation are using? Because looking at the chart and looking at PISA, it looks to me like countries that focus on knowledge-rich curriculums vastly outperform those who focus on skills. I just wondered if that was something you'd found in your research. In this analysis, we haven't done those questions. Uh, we don't have that information for each of the countries, but it, it is a, a very good question. In some of the countries where I'm in, involved, um, I used to work in East Asia, high-performing countries have a, a very focused uh, curriculum. I'm working in countries that have very large curriculum, very, syllabus, uh, maybe too many subjects, uh, not focused enough, making it very difficult to teach. And in some countries, you've got double shift. I was in uh, a country that had triple shifts in, in primary schools, very difficult to teach in those countries. And they are looking to reform that system. But it's a good question, something that I hope people will, will take up with the database. I forgot to mention the data is public, and it's a free resource for all um, researchers who want to take this up. And we're happy to, to, uh, to facilitate that exchange. Hello, thank you very much for that. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with the indications that you have at the end there. Um, I actually work for the assessment directorate here in the United Arab Emirates in the Ministry of Education. Um, we're actually currently looking at a review of our entire assessment framework from the sort of local uh, school level subject assessments to the national uh, tests and international assessments like PISA and PEARLS looking at what the purposes of those assessments are, what they measure, um, and how that data is used, and how that data communicates to each other. So I'm just wondering from the work you've been doing, um, are there any other more targeted recommendations or indications for assessment policy? At, at, at this stage, um, uh, no. Uh, the only thing that we're, that we're arguing is that we need 
more assessment. We need more countries participate in more assessments. Uh, and we are working with a few countries to look at their national assessments. We haven't touched national assessments because they're difficult to compare. But, it, but if countries are participating in, in the international or regional assessments and they have good national assessments, we can also link those. Some countries do link, but there tend to be countries that already did PISA or, or TIMS. What we're arguing is that more assessment is useful for countries to build their capacity and then to use that information uh, more widely to do things like, like what you're saying. And we are seeing countries that want to look at regional disaggregations. It's not enough for them to see the national average. They want to know what's happening across the country, look at the diversity of schools. And we're facilitating that in a few countries. Okay, thank you for your presentation. I'm Frances. I work on a girl child project where we are trying to increase the enrollment, retention, and completion rate of girls in the secondary school in Northeast Nigeria. And um, one of the issues we've had is that uh, most times people come, the idea is that we just want them to come in and complete secondary school. But what, how do you increase the learning outcome? Is your research based just on what you have done? Or can, you, can it be applied in other situations, like in Africa, in Nigeria, particularly where you work? I didn't catch uh, the whole question. Um, if you could speak closer to the mic, if you don't mind. OK. I said I work on a project where we are working on increasing the enrollment, retention, and completion rate for secondary school girls in the Northeast Nigeria. And um, I want to know if this your learning outcome can be applied to another situation. Say if the learning outcome for this particular project would be applied with your, your presentation, if it can be applied in it and what would you advise to improve the learning outcome because most of the times the idea is just that we want them to go to school but we want to know how do you improve the learning outcome so that at the end of the day you're proud that they went to school and they were able to get something out of it you yeah. got it yes thank you very much um thank you uh, we struggled a lot to get the data for nigeria um, one of the biggest uh, countries in Africa and um, it was difficult to get data. We have some AGRA data. We need, we need more and better data. So my advice is we need the assessment. We need disaggregation so that we can uh, identify what the uh, issues are in the countries. I do think that once uh, girls or any population is given access to schooling, the next step, as difficult as it is, is to address the learning uh, issues. But first, getting, um, getting the girls, getting everyone in school is one, uh, one step. And then using assessments to, uh, to find out where they are in terms of the learning and to address uh, interventions uh, for them and their, and their uh, issues. Uh, we don't have the data for um, uh, northern Nigeria, but we do know uh, that uh, on average, girls are doing better than boys, which gives us a lot of hope. So getting them into school is the first step, and then address the learning challenges with information. Uh, thanks so much, Harry. Um, Jared Lee from the Education Outcomes Fund. We're looking to 
um, set up some large-scale uh, outcomes funds where we partner with governments across Africa and the Middle East and pay for improvements in, in learning outcomes. And we're, we're looking at various ways we can, we can collaborate with the bank on that. Um, in that context, I just wanted to hear a bit more about uh, LAYS, Learning Adjusted Years of Schooling, and sort of what your, what your ambitions are for that metric. You know, is this something we can move towards in the education sector as a kind of standardized, comparable measure of learning? Thank you for the information on the Outcomes Fund and, um, uh, and mentioning LAYS, Learning Adjusted Years of Schooling. So the Human Capital Index has uh, several indicators. One of them takes the years of schooling and adjusts them with, with equality. So if a country had 10 years of schooling, scored 500, another country had 10 years of schooling, scored 250, their years of schooling adjust by half. So it's a linear adjustment. And that's been quite shocking in terms of uh, many countries, uh, the investment and then what they're getting in terms of uh, learning. Uh, so it's like an exchange rate. Uh, so you can compare top performers to other countries. So the learning adjusted years of schooling has been useful in, in uh, uh, focusing attention on where the learning gaps exist. So it's a, it's a nice measure of this. And then it can even be monetized in terms of uh, earnings loss. We know that a, a year of schooling increases earnings by about 10%. So if you're losing half your schooling because of quality, that's a huge income loss for countries that we can that we can monetize. So LAYS has been useful for, for this index, the Human Capital Index, and for drawing attention to the learning crisis. Um, there's there's a new paper by David Evans that uh, that takes the the concept of lays and tries to to give it a um, a measure in terms of learning outcomes that you can get from uh, the, the the rigorous impact evaluations. Uh, we hope that other impact evaluations organizations will use it as well. It will give us a common metric so that we know how interventions are working in terms of of bringing up that adjusted years of schooling. Otherwise, we have to use two indicators, the enrollments or years of schooling and the learning outcomes. LAYS allows you to get with one indicator both of those concepts. So that uh, graphic that shows enrollments going up and learning going down, the, the learning just years of schooling would give you one indicator. So we think it's useful. The paper's been published. There seems to be some take up by uh, researchers, but we'll see. Again, that's part of the human capital uh, index and it's a database that is uh, available publicly so we hope more people will will use that and use it to uh, adjust their uh, research studies to make them more intelligible otherwise uh, we end up telling people about how many standard deviations that an intervention improved uh, outcomes better to show years of schooling and and to relate that to future productivity and earnings thank you Hi. Uh, so your implications seem to suggest that human potential is narrowed down to measurement in three subject areas, and it's measured through a standardized assessment. A lot of educators would disagree with those definitions because we uh, talk about 21st century skills, we talk about holistic measures of assessment, we talk about expanding and integrating the curriculum rather than doing a knowledge-focused curriculum. What's your response to that debate? Uh, I agree 100% that we need to focus on new skills, 21st century skills, socio-emotional learning, uh, and we need to increase that very rapidly into school systems. However, the challenge is for the countries that are scoring at the bottom of our scale, uh, children are simply not, not, not learning. Their, their reading is 
in many cases not existent. Even after three, four years of schooling, their level of reading is very poor. Very difficult to bring into that system other skills. So getting the fundamentals right has to be the first step. But quickly we need to bring the new skills into the system. I don't think it can be either or. I do agree that the new skills are important and will become more important in the future, but people will still be able, still need to be able to read and to do those basic subjects. So we're looking at pretty basic outcomes. Uh, we're not talking about high order skills. This is basic reading. Um, AGRA, for example, we have countries where people have done four years of schooling and the average reading level is close to zero. So these are huge challenges and something that we need to address very quickly before we can add to the curriculum. But I do agree, uh, we need the new skills. I, I actually don't have a question. I just want to commend you on delivering a quality session in this super noisy environment. So thank you very much. Thank you.